At the rear of the beautiful parlours was a large Christmas tree, presenting a most picturesque and uncanny aspect. It was brilliantly lighted with 80 lights, all encased in these dainty glass eggs, and about equally divided between white, red and blue. One can hardly imagine anything prettier. This is a quote by W.A. Crawford, um, who was describing his experience when he first saw a Christmas tree, one of the first Christmas trees ever lit in 1883. Um, so welcome to our third podcast of Light Cities and Architecture. It's uh, a shorter version, but uh, we just thought we'd just sort of do a little wrap up for the year and do a Christmas special and uh, on Christmas lighting. Christmas lighting indeed. Um, we really wanted to do something different with uh, this being, our, as Jackson said, our third podcast. And we really wanted to look at how Christmas lighting has um, evolved and affected our lives I think it's a really fascinating uh, topic because I guess the history of Christmas lighting is in a way parallel with the, the history of lighting and the history of lighting design. So as lighting evolved, so too did Christmas lighting. So there's lots of aspects to this, uh, this topic. And uh, where shall we start, Jackson? Let's go back to the very beginning, maybe, and talk about how, how it even began. Um, so... so my understanding is that, uh, you know, a lot of the traditions of Christmas evolved from pagan traditions. And it's, uh, you know, the idea of uh, the way in which we celebrate Christmas, the time that we celebrate Christmas, um, don't have a long history, you know, but it has a, a, a probably two, three hundred years sort of history. And the idea of lighting at Christmas, you know, if we think about the northern hemisphere, we're close to the winter solstice mm. and candles were very much uh, a, a way of celebrating and uh, the Christmas era. Mm. Well, there's multiple different things online if you have a look at sort of where people think that it began as a tradition. But essentially, I think, yeah, it sort of came together as people gathered during peak winter time in Northern Hemisphere, sort of got together and... Um, started to bring objects within within their home, like a tree. They'd cut down a tree and bring it inside just to bring a bit more life into the darkness of the winter. Mm -hmm. And they would gather around this object. And then they started to decorate this object and decorate it through ornamentation and also the addition of light sources, which were candles in those days. And those candles, as from what I understand, represented the star of Bethlehem, the birth of Christ, the idea of hope, and I guess the idea of light within the house had a strong psychological benefit to the people living in those sorts of environments. Definitely. And uh, bringing people together, I think it's about like having an object in the home that you can sit around and you can discuss and talk. And like it, it sort of arcs back to, uh, I suppose, a fire culturally, mm -hmm. but, it, but internally in the house. So, so let's fast forward to... Um, Right down to the present day, because Christmas lighting now has, you know, evolved. And uh, in, in doing research, I happened upon Daddy's Home 2, which is the Christmas special. Where so this is a movie. A movie. It's a, uh, a movie that was uh, released in 2016. It uh, features Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. And essentially, they're two co-dads, and they through one thing or another, they decide they um, 
have something of a feud where each of them decide that they're going to plan for their children uh, the perfect Christmas. And the perfect Christmas involves Christmas lighting, as you would expect. So this rivalry exists, which is the rivalry in most cultures to do with Christmas lighting, isn't it? <laughs> the rivalry, uh, well, in in it evolves because of a nativity scene and who plays Joseph within that nativity scene. So you have two two co-dads um, basically vying for the head of the family, I suppose. And as a result of that, the two households spar with each other as to who will have the better Christmas lighting special. Now, it's a really good scene. There's, there are two very good scenes in the film. One is with the snowblower, where uh, the uh, Will Ferrell character accidentally lets go of the snowblower and it, it starts to pull together, pull into uh, into the machinery all of the fairy lights, these long strings of fairy lights in which, you know, beheads a, um, a snowman, you know. You imagine just sort of short-circuiting over the whole or, house and pulling it, retracting it into a fan very quickly. And he's, you know, hanging on to this snowblower for dear life and it's, uh, it, he eventually sort of goes, you know, goes crawling up to the side of a building um, he's hanging on for dear life. He eventually lets go and, you know, collapses down onto the ground. The, the, the snowblower gets into the roof of the building and then eventually comes out and falls onto a car. Now, the reason why I bring that scene up is that uh, the idea of safety and uh, Christmas lighting is, is never far away. And I think quite often at around this time, you do hear of you know, men generally falling off roof, roofs as they... Uh, that's something that we didn't actually research is all of the accidents to well, do with. Or did you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I did. Uh, there was a recent case of a, a, a gentleman who died uh, installing Christmas lights, but also you do hear about so injuries. How much people love this tradition. Absolutely. They will risk their lives to put lights all over their building in the most precarious of locations. That's right. In fact, there are companies that will do Christmas lighting for you. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, so it's evolved into this, in, you know, an industry. I mean, in, in the U.S. itself, 150 million lights at this time of year are sold essentially yeah, uh, for Christmas lighting. Now, a lot of those lights end up in, uh, mm. in waste. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of people seem to renew their lights quite regularly. Um, except I know my mother has the same lights on her Christmas tree. Like, I can remember them when I was a kid. Like, there's these little incandescent bulbs in these little star fashion they really have a beautiful light they don't they don't sort of flash or have any crazy scenes going over them they're sort of just a static but i kind of i kind of like that well one of the interesting things i think about fairy lights is that when you you know wrap it around a tree or, or tape it to a tree or tape it to a part of a building you actually get the form of that building yeah, exactly. or form that of dimension. that object mm -hmm. which is something you don't actually see in led lighting so it it is curious that i think fairy lights actually work quite well now you probably know better than me, but they're a small, tiny little incandescent light. Oh, right. Most of them now are little LEDs. Now they're LEDs, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, in effect, the have some ability to 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 not sorry they they are able to blink and dim dim and uh, um, change colours, or that there are a sequence of different yeah. colours. How do you find those sequences? Because I, I think it's a recent thing that I mean, someone gave me some Christmas lights. I put them in my backyard. And just to add a bit of nighttime glow in the tree. And the scenes that were available on 
the lights were, were all horrendous. They were all like the movement was way too dynamic. I go out there and I feel like it was in a, like three a.m. at some nightclub in the city or something, and uh, just really just didn't put well, me in a great place. <laughs> so I guess so. Let's 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 talk about that. I mean, I I suppose what you observed. So from those early days of a candle in a tree, we the technology has evolved very, very quickly. And essentially we are lighting buildings um, and we're almost creating scenes, as you describe. Uh, the, the sort of classic um, Christmas light scene is where the building, in effect, gets um, articulated with lighting. So the windows would you know, have lights around the window, around the, the eave, around the ridge line, around the door and so on and so forth. So almost the architecture becomes the backdrop to the scene. Correct. And in front of that is some kind of fantasy land, whether it Nativity be reindeer, reindeer or Snoopies or some kind of figurines. of. They don't have to be religious. And I think there is a sort of detachment with Christmas lighting from the original, from any sort of religious yeah. scene. I mean, there is a little bit of it here and there, but it's not really the main go. I mean, there's certainly... It's more down the track of making Santa do something cheeky. Or yes, that's right. And, you know, I've seen Christmas lights where, you know, Homer Simpson has appeared and, you know, a, a whole range of characters. So the idea of a fantasy kitsch... Which uh, goes back to Daddy's home. Daddy's too. home. Now, we have to talk about Daddy's home because the two characters... I haven't seen the scene. <laughs> Anthony sends it to me, um, the clip from YouTube, just of the moment where they both light their houses. And it is actually hilarious. I was laughing for the two and a half minutes or whatever it went for. So the scene is essentially two houses that are, in effect, dueling via the different lighting effects that are happening. So a lot of blinking... Um, it's all set to Tchaikovsky's uh, Nutcracker Suite. Uh, so it's very intense. There's a sort of an it outline. Builds, doesn't it? it starts <laughs> it off quite, okay, they're just sort of competing at the same level. Then you have all these layers that just keep getting introduced and it becomes more intense, more intense, to the point where it's so intense that it's just ridiculous. There's flames. There's like rockets um, shooting out of the There is the profile or there's the, the profile of the two guys that the sort of you know there's a sort of silhouette of the two guys in in lighting and they're sort of conversing with each other through light um and it you know it really builds and it eventually <laughs> causes a blackout as you might expect with the consumption of so much energy and power so i guess but it's not too far from the truth it's like not you drive too around far your neighborhood <laughs> and you see houses like this i mean without the sort of fireworks and rocket shooting into the sky and things but it's like People really do take it to the next level. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there are documentaries on this. There are people who um, have been doing uh, Christmas lighting for 30-odd years. They plan the Christmas lighting as early as August. They yeah. will continually add to the previous iteration. And so, and it does bring people out into the streets at night now, you know, whether it's Melbourne or, you know, the colder climates of, you know, places in America or in parts of Europe, it, it does seem to bring people out and about. And it's done it, as a community, like there's a lot, I went reading through a lot of the research, a lot of communities do it together as well. They form whole streets or there's actually one state in America, which does, there's like, there's a tour through the whole state. Mm. There's like a path which people can drive along and mm. every, like, well, most of the objects, houses or buildings along that corridor are lit. So 
it is it is sort of an aspect that brings communities together, not mm. only just households. And I think it's an interesting thing because talking to other architects about this topic and un- asking them what they think of Christmas lights, there's a tendency to see it as, I guess, bad taste or kitsch or wasteful. Um, but and, and all those things perhaps are true. But I think it's the same it as is, in the line design community. Like if someone, uh, I mean, I don't know if. It, I've heard a few stories about people being asked to do lighting for people's homes at Christmas, but usually it's a personal thing mm. and people do it on their own accord and mm. they put their own flair into it. It does seem to be a form of amateur lighting design. I suspect there might be some people who will be uncomfortable unpl- un- with using that sort of idea, but it is lighting design. <laughs> um, it is people using light. There's not a lot of light and shade. There's a lot of light and light. Um, and, you know, if you can get something to blink... Let's make it blink. And if we can get it to go from red to green to blue to whatever colour you wish, let's do it. So the more, the better. It's interesting that you said blue then, because is blue historically a Christmas? Like, mm. we sort of see red, green and white. Yes, red, green and white. You but it's, it's, it's interesting, in the 1883, it was the American flag. So it was the white, the red and the blue was used on the tree. There you so go. Which is interesting. Do you want to talk a little bit about its when it did become electrified, because that, that was a significant moment, I suppose, in the evolution of, uh, of lighting. Yeah, well, the, uh, Mr. Johnson, his name, um, was working for Edison Shop. So basically, yeah, he wired these 80 uh, incandescent bulbs together in red, white, and blue, um, and then basically pl- placed them on the trunk and wrapped them around the tree and put the tree on a revolving pedestal and powered it through a generator and put it in the shop front window. And it was a fascinating marketing idea because he wrote to the local paper and got them to write about it and had all these people coming out from the community and seeing the electrification of a tree um, through this technology, which, you know, electricity in homes wasn't even, was very rarely available then. It was super expensive. Um, But they got massive marketing out of it. And from there, it just sort of grew. Like 10 years later, they they lit the tree in front of the White House. Mm. So... You know, in a matter of 10 years, they've, they've sort of spread this and it's sort of becoming a tradition within people, like within... So it almost works. It, it seems to work on three levels. You have the individual home, which is often, say, in our home, we will have some Christmas lights on our tree and we stop there. Um, you then have the house, the, the, the eager homeowner, usually a guy for whatever reason, doing Christmas lights and you know, going as far as his budget, his or her budget can afford. And, you know, there's there's a real competition, as we've said, in how far we can go. And then we have the sort of the street or the, the, the sort of the public square, places like Rockefeller Center or mm. parts of Tokyo. Um, this year has like 50,000 color-changing lamps on the trees in the Rockefeller Center in New York, which is... It's incredible. If if it's actually mapped and they actually want to control every single fitting, it's a huge amount of universes. Um, Yeah, it's insane. And places like London uh, and Trafalgar Square, there's a whole range of places. Now, I suppose it points to affluence, a time of giving. It's, I guess, very much connected to the sort of commercialization of Christmas. I don't think. It's a huge aspect, isn't it? Um, They're selling 150 million boxes of fairy lights a year just in America. Which is incredible. And a lot of that, as you know, goes to waste. Now, 
I think we should probably deal with the question of waste because, you know, is it wasteful? I mean, we're talking about one time of year. We're talking about uh, consumers or, or communities coming together to celebrate an important cultural institution. And it is wasteful on one level where I suspect, as you said earlier, a lot of those lights end up in, in landfill. I think a lot of them, when you take them down from tree, a lot of people, you know, they end up in a big tangled mess mm. and they're like, oh, I'll just, you know. Redo it. Exactly. You know, because the cost of them is, is so minimal. Mm. Like uh, and so maybe there is a, you know, an option for, you know, a recycling scheme on there or a community scheme or something like that. Because if there's that many out there, then they're actually being thrown away. Um, or but do we go into a tradition of making things that, you know, like, the first set of bulbs are actually made by um, Edison for homes had, um, what were they? They were $12 back in around 1885, which is about $350 in today's money. So they were, they were you know, quite expensive. But they basically had this wooden box and every bulb of the different colour would be placed in its own little cubicle and then you would have the catenary that would sit on top. So it was actually this kit that you would get out and you would assemble every year. Um, which, you know, they're still making today and things, but not to the same sort of degree of, like, um, beauty as an object. So maybe, like, because it's been so commercialised and replaceable that we've lost this tradition of actually assembling the lighting ourselves, which could be a you know, good thing to try and resurrect. Well, I think maybe. I think the, the, the key to Christmas lighting, it seems to me, is this, is this kind of amateurness, amateurness about it. I mean, it does seem to be once you introduce design in the way that you're describing, I, I wonder if something gets lost in that transition. I mean, do we just simply accept it for... I don't think it's going to go backwards. This time. <laughs> <laughs> that was maybe a little bit... Yeah. Um, so I don't expect there'll be too many lighting designers getting um, commissions to do lighting designs. Mm. There, I mean, there's been some really interesting developments in, in recent times where, you well, know... that's the thing. Around the world in different cultures, there it's... Like, we're talking about trees predominantly, um, but doing research into what different cultures do around the world, there's a lot of different traditions that involve light. Um you know, if we start with trees, like in India, you know, pine trees aren't that common, so they have a tradition of um, decorating uh, banana trees <laughs> in some places, mm -hmm. which I read about. In Florida, they decorate the life, surf life-saving um, sort of watchtowers because they're an object that's high and you, know, you can wrap lights around them. So it's the adoption of an object within space and then decorating it with lights, mm. which is basically... Which seems to happen around once a year in every culture from what we can see. So there's Diwali and Holly and... and but even events like Halloween still have a, a, a light, have some degree of lighting to it. But yeah. I suppose Christmas is where, you know, the rules are broken. I mean, uh, all bets are off. It's, it's how much, how intense... Um, and how much fun you can really have at that time of year. And I think... But that's the same across a lot of communities. It is. Like in the Philippines where they do the giant lantern festival, basically you have these communities which build these massive wheels, which we posted an image on our Instagram. They're, they're, they're kaleidoscope images with all different coloured lights, and they each community makes one of these 
these giant lanterns and then they assemble them all together and it's sort of like a competition of whose can be the most sort of dazzling and fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, not a home that's being decorated, but it's it's a lantern in a totally, you know, in a, in a different community, in a different country. It but it has the same concept behind it. It's about a community constructing something and it's sort of being a little bit competitive as <laughs> to who can create the most amazing atmosphere. The traditions are all different in what they compose, but the idea behind them is all very similar about bringing a community together, bringing people together, creating something with light, and then sort of trying to you know, be proud of what you've mm. created as taking ownership of it as the best out of everything that's been created. So what's happening here is that it seems that there's a detachment, though, from the religious experience. I think that much we can yeah, say. Definitely. Like, we can't really call Christmas lighting a religious experience. I think there's, at some point, at some some point in the road, someone said, well, let's ignore the, Chris, the, the Christmas tradition and let's um and let's and let's uh let's just light this place you know and so even though it's not really spoken about or not discussed it seems that light itself is the thing that is the draw card it's Mm. the it's our our physiological desire to our attraction to light um and I wonder if this is sort of, I mean, all the light vessels, which we haven't talked mm. about yet, but I think we're definitely going to do in a future podcast, all these creation of light festivals in cities around the world, it almost feels like it wasn't, it's an extension of what's happening at Christmas because this has been going on for a lot longer, mm. but it has been a community tradition to come out and celebrate light. Correct. Um, I think, I definitely think there is a... a a lineage of from Christmas lighting, you know, street lighting, where you know a whole boulevard or a whole street gets lit, to what we're seeing now around the world, which is the light festivals, whether it's Vivid in Sydney or um, White Night here in Melbourne, and all the ones that exist all over the world. Essentially, it's a a version thereof, um, a, an orchestrated, um, curated lighting festival. So that's where the design aspect comes into it. Or artistic aspect, I suppose. Is yeah, and content artists, and, you know, and we're, you know, moving further and further away from its origins. Um, it, 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 the appeal of electric lighting, the, the light show itself, I think, is what's at the core of this. Mm. That at night, it's a way of bringing people out and about and enjoying their city. Because it is has this kind of very transformative effect. If we think, if we go back to the to the house that I was describing, that the way in which the architecture is is being articulated with the light, and then this kind of other scene put in front of it, it's a real departure from the the building during the day, mm, mm. and it's almost. And when you see them in the day, they're often, they're often quite funny because <laughs> you see all the connecting wires. Like if someone has a big inflatable Santa Claus, like I saw this one the other day, it would have been ten meters high, and it's strapped to the ground. And like in the daytime, it looks horrible. <laughs> I haven't seen it at night, but yeah, they are quite funny seeing them in the daytime. And I think that's where there is a lot of pleasure and a lot of enjoyment that people get out of it. And I think that I come back to this idea that the design community has a little bit of trouble with this sort of area of uh, design, shall we say, the idea of, a, I guess, a vernacular language or a, a sort of traditional language or some sort of organic idea about what lighting should and shouldn't be. And I, th- I think it's really 
you know, where I would have started on this uh, journey and what I would have thought about Christmas lighting and where I've ended up is that I think that it is a really lovely way to enjoy creating with light and bringing people out and enjoying each other's company and seeing what people can actually do mm. it's and seeing the sort of technology evolve has you know and and explored in ways that I don't think many of us would really think about I think has been is a really nice thing to see in the community you know and it's it's not something that you do at a certain age either which I think is really important because what generates emotion inside of you and tradition and like things that you connect with are things that you did when you were a child mm. and growing up and I think there's a huge connection between you know Christmas when you're a child because it's such uh it's something you look forward to for the whole year and then it arrives and you remember not sleeping the night before because you're waiting for Santa to come and things like this. These traditions are ingrained in you mm. and because light's so closely associated to these traditions, then when you grow up, you, you sort of have this connection to it. Mm. So I think there's an important aspect there. Back to your point about detaching from the religious culture. I mean, before it was religious, it was tradition about, you know, helping well, basically bring life into the house during winter. So it was, so, and now it's sort of moved into more of a, there's a lot of comedy attached to it and, you know, making reindeers sort of dance in certain ways or Santa doing silly things. Um, so where do you think it's moving culturally? Like, where do you think, it, like, wh where are we currently? We're sort of detached mostly from the religious side. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I, I, I think it's just evolving along those lines. I don't think there's any shift happening, if that's what you're suggesting. I don't think there's anyone saying, well, we might put a few ex few less lights on this year because, you know, we have an issue with sustainability. It, mm. it seems to be, I think I think on this issue, everyone gets a bit of a leave pass. It seems that... Uh, but if we look, say, 30 years ago, what people are doing well, and today, my point can is you imagine in 30 years <laughs> well, what they might be doing? I think... I can't see any reason why it wouldn't continue along the lines that it currently is and that we will see uh, an evolution along those lines where, you know, there'll be more and more and more lighting. So I guess the question of waste really has to be addressed, mm. which, you know, it is wasteful. Mm. But I was thinking about, you know, we, if you look at, you know, street lighting, for instance, and the fact that you know, a suburban street with no cars at 3am is being lit every day of every week of every year. Mm. The measure of waste that happens at Christmas due to decorative lighting is pales into insignificance when we look at other aspects of lighting and the way in which that could be controlled. So in terms of energy consumption. In terms of energy consumption. Yeah, throwing an object away. Well, there is that as well. There's, there is that way as well. So there are two parts to it. You're quite right. But in terms of energy consumption, you know, the amount of lighting that happens at, at Christmas due to Christmas lighting would be relatively small in comparison to other forms of lighting and other forms of efficiency. So, you know, the question of, you know, sustainability, I think, has to be measured against what the impact is on community and the creation of, you know, the sense of well-being that mm. happens around decorative lighting. So I don't think we can, I don't think we can apply that 
I don't th- yeah, stringently, I'm not I suppose. Too critical of the energy consumption. Now thinking about the actual wastage factor from the physical. Yeah, I think that definitely should be encouraged to be thought about more. I think when perhaps people are we purchasing might see their that. lights and things like that as well. Like, can they envisage using them again? Is there different qualities in the marketplace? Um, rather than buying a set that you know they well, only envisage just because it's the tree that they have that I year. I think that becomes a problem with Christmas overall. I mean, yeah. so much of Christmas ends up in landfill. Yeah. And, and I think the cacophony of light and movement and, you know, chaos that's created through lighting uh, at Christmas sort of assists that kind of idea of consumption as far as I can tell. So it's a very sugary sort of time of year. It's a lot of, you know, packaging and toys and stuff that really don't get used. Now, that's a whole different question, I think, but it, it I think, relates... It's no. interesting that the, the ones in the Philippines, they're part of the Giant Lant- Lantern Festival and the Day of Little Candles in Colombia, they're both objects that were made out of paper. So you would make paper and you'd colour paper and put the, lamp, the candle inside of it mm. and you'd make an object out of that, which, when you think about it, a candle in paper is quite sustainable. Mm. There's not a lot of waste. Mm. So there, there are traditions around the world, but these sort of seem historical. And there's also, I suppose, uh, increasingly bonfires and things like that at the solstice times, you know, more so in winter. And so you probably see them more in the, in the northern hemisphere than you do in the southern hemisphere at Christmas. Like the Galvle goat in Sweden, which is this community that erects, how big is it? 13 metres tall mule goat. And it's been a tradition that's been running since 1966. And it's essentially this huge goat that the community constructs. And it's sort of out of um, dried grass. So there's been this tradition, or not tradition, this, what is it, unwittingly, um, the tradition of sorts that basically to try and burn down this goat. So people throw fireballs at it and things like this. And since 1966... The goat has been burnt down 29 times. Oh, there you go. And now there's a live feed on the internet of the goat that you can go and watch to see if it's still there or if it's burning. This is our third podcast, Jackson. It is. <laughs> and Indeed. we set ourselves the aim of getting to three podcasts, mm. which we've managed to achieve. And I guess this this particular podcast was really to celebrate that event and, and to do something around Christmas and to... Of course, wish all of our listeners a very, very happy Christmas. What are you doing for Christmas? Uh, we will be going away uh, down to Point Lonsdale for a week, but we will also be going to Italy in the new year, which I'm very much looking forward to. So, But I think um, a few things we want to talk about. Firstly, we've, we've been really overwhelmed by the, the support that we've got, the really positive comments and, and not feedback. so... The not-so-positive comments that we got from one gentleman in Finland. I think he was he was kind of a little <laughs> bit positive. His name was Timu. Timu was uh, critical of our audio in the last podcast, and we are aware that there are improvements that need to be made, so please stay with us. The, the, the content next year we've got planned is really you know, pretty well thought through. We've, we're, we're going to talk about daylight in the urban in cities we're going to talk about facade lighting in the city we're going to talk about probably james Turrell and oliver ellison at some point um 
And we'll probably also talk about lighting and photography. So there's a whole raft of um, topics that we want to cover off in 2020. Definitely. Apart from getting our production values and yeah. research better. 100%. So back to Timu's email. Fantastic. I think we have to, um, we have to read part of his uh, email because we enjoyed it so much. So on my commute home, on my commute back home, I started listening, but I had to crank up the headphones all the way so that my phone warned that my hearing might need might be compromised just to hear you guys talk at all. I mean, the recording level is so low. <laughs> I don't know the terms. I'm not musically inclined, but crank up the volume, please. Boost the signal, amplify something. So that was a bit of uh, Timu, his email. So we were very appreciative of that, I can assure you. <laughs> so um, please stay in touch. We want to make this podcast as good as we can possibly make it and um, yeah see you in the new year happy Christmas <laughs>